Uh, Matthew chapter 6, uh, if, if, if you don't have a Bible, there's uh, some Bibles um, under the chairs you can open up to Matthew 6. You want to have the passage in front of you as, as we look at it together. Um, but uh, this is uh, the word of the Lord who is our security. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves... Treasures on earth. This is Jesus speaking here. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you that you've given us your word, that we can turn to this book and find that these are the very words of God, these are words of truth, and uh, we've, we see over and over again how piercingly they speak into our lives, and we ask that you would pierce us now um, as we uh, talk about money and uh, its role in our spiritual lives, and I pray for your spirit to come and to take the words um, that I speak and that you translate them into the lives of those who uh, sit here and that you would lead us to repentance and to faith and to joy in the gospel. And uh, so may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We ask this in, in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Um, so we have been, uh, for about the past three months now, we've been looking at... Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going through the, uh, uh, you know, the, the pattern of our church is um, we just uh, go right through books of the Bible and study passages from the books of the Bible. I don't skip over anything. Whatever comes next in the Bible, that's what we're talking about. And, uh, and uh, every, basically Christmas to Pentecost, which is late May, uh, we, uh, we look at a gospel, and we've been looking at the, uh, the gospel of Matthew, and uh, for the last three months we've been in, in a part of the gospel of Matthew called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the gospel of Matthew is actually structured around five discourses that Jesus gives, these kind of long sermons about different topics, about these parables and about um, uh, the destruction of, of Jerusalem and all these lo- uh, long teachings. This is the, the first and the longest of those five discourses that he gives in the gospel of Matthew called the Sermon on the Mount, and um, one of the things that it's uh, remarkable is about, you know, the, the Sermon on the Mount, my Bible is about four pages, and it's remarkable the amount of ground that Jesus covers in just four pages. I mean, the topics that he covers of, of anger, of uh, marriage and divorce, of, um, of lust, of integrity, of prayer, um, um, compassion and generosity, all these things that, you know, psychologists could write books and books about any one of these topics, just pages and pages, and then here's Jesus so concisely, in just a few words, just says words that are just so penetrating that even just a few words, he says more than all those books are worth. They just penetrate and expose our lives. And that's one of the things that we know that when we're reading this, these are not the words of men. Words of men just multiply into books and books. The word of God, it just pierces and cuts into us. And that's, that's what Jesus does. That's what we see in the Sermon on the Mount. And um, this week, uh, we're talking about a really important topic uh, to our Lord. 
is the topic of money. And uh, Jesus was uh, very insistent that his disciples be very careful about money and possessions. And they look at the role of money and possessions in their own life. Actually, there's, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, there's another spot where Jesus says this, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. What Jesus uh, says is that we need to be on guard. And uh, Tim Keller actually talking about that little passage. He says, you know, most other sins, uh, you're pretty aware that you're struggling with them, you know. Uh, you know that you're, you know, if you're committing adultery, you don't say, I didn't even realize that that was happening. I didn't know that, you know, uh, I, w- I didn't even know that that was a sin that was happening in my life. You're aware that it's happening. You know, if you're stealing something, if you're lying to someone, or if you're, most sins are fairly obvious to us, and, and we, we can see them. And what Jesus says, you've got to watch out for greed, for covetousness, the desire for possessions, the desire for money, because you won't see it. You'll be blind to it. You won't even be aware that it's a problem for you. And um, especially, I'll tell you that um, in our culture, uh, our culture is the wealthiest culture in the history of the world, and yet we are not a very generous culture. Um, on average, uh, the average, this is a 2003 survey, but the average uh, household income in, uh, in the U.S. was $52,000, and on average, the average American uh, gave away $794 a year. So that's uh, 1.5% of... Uh, the money that we make in our culture, we give away 1.5%. And, you know, evangelicals are, are actually, you know, uh, uh, the, the most generous of the major um, uh, uh, religious groups in our country. We give away, uh, give about 4.4% of our money to, uh, um, to God's work. Um, about three or four uh, times as much money as, as uh, the average American, you know, uh, evangelicals give, uh, for every $1 that they give to political action, they give $12 to foreign missions and international relief efforts. So, so evangelicals, are, comparatively, are somewhat uh, more generous. And, uh, and that's because what the gospel does is the gospel makes us a generous people. When we realize that I don't deserve anything from God, I'm a sinner, I, I deserve his wrath, and yet he just pours blessings on me, pours salvation on me, pours grace on me, I can't help but become a generous person. But as evangelicals, our standard is not the average American. If we look at the average American, we might feel very proud and say, wow, aren't we a generous people, aren't we good? Um, but our standard is God's word to us. And God's call to us, that's the standard that we stand before him with. And, you know, God's, the baseline kind of standard for the Bible is that you give away 10% of your money uh, to, uh, to God's work. And then on top of that, uh, you know, uh, in, in ancient Israel, you know, when you have these fields, you leave uh, some of your crops on the edges of the fields so the poor can come and, uh, and uh, collect, collect food and uh, glean from your leftovers. So, so on top of your 10%, you also give to neighbors and family and friends and to people who are in need. And so there's this uh, tremendous generous spirit uh, that the Bible calls us to, and yet evangelicals are, are only give away 4, 4.4% of their money, which is down 30% from 50 years ago. So we are becoming a more and more material, materialistic kind of people. And uh, actually, um, it's not just individual 
Christians, but actually churches as a whole are becoming more and more self-centered. So in 1920, churches gave away at least, on average, 10% of their, uh, their kind of income and their, their offerings. They'd give to foreign missions and to other works outside of their local ministry. Now churches uh, keep 97% of their money. They just keep for their own churches and their own ministry and own things that are happening inside. They're giving away less and less money because we're becoming less generous, more materialistic. And um, we're holding on tighter and tighter to our possessions. And what Jesus says is that this is a great danger. And uh, actually, if you look at the amount uh, of content that Jesus gives to uh, us considering our possessions and what we do with our money, it's far more than he talks about lust or sex or drunkenness or any other thing that mostly evangelicals say these are really bad sins. Uh, Jesus says greed is the one uh, that is going to sneak up on you that you need to be aware of, that you can uh, make into an idol. And um, so... Um, what he tells us in this passage is that the reason we need to look at money is because money actually shows us what our relationship to God is like. Money is a mirror for us to see what is my life with God like? Where do I really put my trust? Where, where is my devotion, my love? Where is my heart really? He says, look at your money, right? He says that in verse 21 there. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And what he's asking us is, what is the substance of our life? Is it things in earth or is it things in heaven? So this morning, um, what I want to do is just consider two questions as we look at uh, Jesus' words here on money. The first question is this. Is money the master of my life? This is the diagnostic. Is money the master of my life? Is it the thing that my life is devoted to? We first need to ask that question. And once we've answered that, we second ask, how can I serve God instead? What is the remedy? If money is the master of my life, it is the thing, possessions are the things that are devoted to my life, uh, how can I serve God instead? And, um, you know, I think that for most of us, I, I think we want to be a generous people. I, I would like, you know, we like that. We like people who are generous. And I want to be a generous person. I want to be open-handed. And so my hope is that uh, these words, as we look at Jesus' teaching, is this, uh, that this would be freeing, this would be liberating to you, this would be an encouragement to you, um, and, not, and not a burden, and not, and not to come down on you, but an invitation. So these two things, these two questions we're going to look at, and the first is this. Is money the master of my life? How do we answer that question? Is money the master of my life? Um, if we need to be on guard, if Jesus says be on guard, watch out for covetousness, the longing for more possessions, um, what do we look for to find out how prominent of a role money is in our lives. And I think there's two things that Jesus says in this passage. First, he says we need to follow our money. Uh, you want to track down where, where, where your heart is and where your master is? Follow where your money goes. And um, watch where your money goes, and it will show you what you truly love. Now look at this again, verse 19. So uh, uh, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth uh, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, if you're kind of listening and you're reading this passage kind of carefully, you're going to notice that uh, I've, I've already so far in my kind of introduction here talked 
a fair amount about giving away money. And, you know, Jesus doesn't say anything about giving money away in this passage. His money is about this, this passage about um, not having a life trying to accrue lots of possessions and g- gather more and more possessions to ourselves. And so am I a pastor who's kind of sneaking into this uh, passage, trying to get people to give more of their money away? Well, um, this uh, this saying of Jesus about not laying up treasures on earth but treasures in heaven shows up again in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 19. And there's a, uh, a story about the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and he says, uh, you know, teacher, what should I do to inter- inherit eternal life? And, uh, and Jesus says, well, you should keep the commandments and you'll, and you'll have eternal life. He says, well, which ones? And he goes through the Ten Commandments. He says, you know, don't steal, don't commit adultery, um, uh, don't bear false witness, you know, honor your mother and father, etc. And he says, well, all these I've kept from my youth. What else am I lacking? And then Jesus says, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So Jesus says to this man, all right, um, go sell everything and follow me. Now, the way I read that is, I think what Jesus is saying, listen, Okay, you've done all these possessions. I'm going to show you what's really in your heart. I'm going to give you the opportunity to come walk with me. You can live with me. I'll t- you can hear my teaching from my mouth. I mean, how many of us would love to, okay, you could leave all your possessions, but you could actually go and walk with Jesus. You could see him do miracles. You could hear these words from his mouth. He has the opportunity to do that. It's just you've got to give up everything. That's what his other disciples had to do. If you're going to come, come be with me, and he says, I could either be actually in the presence of Jesus or or keep my possessions. He wanted to keep his possessions. And so Jesus was exposing by that little saying, that little saying, what is really in your heart is, um, is what do you hold on to? The possessions showed us, showed what was in his heart. And so what you do with your money and possessions shows what you really value, what your true priorities are. And so that's a question for us as we think about what is the master of my life is to look at where does money flow out of me easily? You know, there's some things where, you know, you got to buy something. You're like, oh, I don't know if that's, uh, I don't know if I can afford that. I don't know if I should be putting money towards that. But there are some things that we have that it just flows. I don't even have to justify it. I don't even have to question it. This is, of course I have to have this, right? I mean, and that could be many things. You know, it could be recreation. It could be, uh, it could be sports. It could be food. It could be clothes. It could be um, uh, things for your children, you know, toys. Uh, whatever it is, where is money just flowing right out that you don't even have to think about to justify? You know, I, I remember when I was in seminary, you know, we didn't have, we hardly had any money. I'm going to school. We had two. We had our third kid while we were in seminary. And I remember for me, uh, one of the things that was like that for me was buying books, you know, they give you a book list for seminary. These are all the books you need. And I say, Shan, sorry, I don't care how much money. I need to have every one of those books. And, you know, many of them, I still have some of them on my shelf. I haven't even opened. And, you know, I could have gone to the library. I could have checked them out. I could have, but, you know, what is that? Some, uh, what do I really value? I want to be a book person. I want to be knowledgeable. I want to be smart. And where the money flows shows what your true passions are. And let me just tell you, that can be an alternative to the Lord. You know, actually, I knew a guy who, uh, there was a, a gal that I was working in a church in Redmond, and, uh, and she asked me if I wanted a, all these boxes of books she had. She had ten boxes of all these theological books and commentaries. She just gave them all to me. And it turned out she had, uh, her ex-husband had been a seminary student. 
And he was really into knowledge and philosophy and, and uh, books. And he bought all these books. And most of them hadn't been opened. There were all these strange books of doctoral dissertations. They're $100 each, these books. And they hadn't even been opened. These obscure topics. And he was just collecting books. And, and he's in seminary. And he's just justifying. I, can, I, I don't even have to question this. Of course I need these. And of course, in the process of that, he abandoned the Lord. He didn't really love the Lord. He abandoned his marriage. He abandoned his kids. And uh, the money showed where his true values were, were in knowledge. And, and, uh, and so that's a question for us, is to see where does money flow out easily from our pocket. And that will show us the things that we really love. So follow the money. And the thing is that money, um, we believe that money will give me the things that will make my life feel restful and whole. If I have money, then I can get the things that will make my life feel restful and whole. But the, the truth is, the vast majority of the things we spend our money on are perishing. They disappear. They go away. Now, that's not a bad thing. I, I, we got to live. We got to eat. And, um, but the question is, do I have, does my money flow to things that don't perish? Do I want my money to go to things that are enduring, that, were, that are lasting, that are eternal? And... Um, uh, toward the kingdom of God, does, uh, to the work that God is doing. Is that something that I really love? Is, is, that, is, that, is that where I'm holding back money? And um, I'll just tell you, you know, I, I didn't grow up in church. Um, and for me growing up, my experience of, of what Christianity was, I knew nothing. I, I never read a Bible. I never been to church. All I saw was what was on TV. And, and so I've always been somewhat leery about you know, pastors talking about money. They, you know, I know pastors are trying to build some uh, ministry or organization they want, and they want people to give more money, so I, I'm sensitive to that. And that's one of the reasons, actually, we just preach through books of the Bible, is I, I don't pick what topic I'm going to be talking about. I just come to the next passage, and here we are. We're talking about money. And, um, and I think that, uh, and I'll tell you that since we started this church, um, and even when we were in seminary, when we were fundraising, even when we went to seminary, we found over and over that God is going to provide for our ministry. You know, whatever he's calling us to do, he's going to bring the resources for that. Um, and he's done that over and over again. You know, he's, he's given us this building. I mean, I wasn't even looking for a building. And God just planted that. And he blessed our congregation with that. He's giving to us. He's generous. He's not just extracting from us. He's pouring things out. But there's a question for us is we look at, we're, you know, we're a growing church. God is doing a lot in our midst. Um, God is at work here. And is that, that is a question for us. Is this something that we love? Is this something that I want to invest in? You know, we have an assistant pastor coming. Uh, we have Michael Wadhams who's coming to work w- with the Lummi Reservation. Um, and we're a growing ministry. And is this something I, that, that I want to invest in, that I want to give to? I think that's, I think that's an important spiritual question for each of, each of us to ask. And I, and I put that before you um, because I love you. And because I, I want you to know God's fatherly care for you. I want you to see his provision in your life. And, um, and because Jesus puts these words before us is um, where, uh, that where our treasure is, that, that's where our heart is. That's where we want to invest. And let me just say one other thing, you know, from my experience just being a pastor a few years, I've been quite amazed. Um, numerous times I've talked to people where um, I know that in any worldly standard, uh, you know, the person I'm talking to does not have the resources that to, in order to tithe. And I've actually told them, I say, hey, listen, don't worry about, you know, I know you got a lot, you're crunched right now, don't worry about it. And numerous times they've said to me, what, what are you talking about? 
I'm not going to give my portion to God just because I have a little bit. God has proven to me over and over again, even if I feel like I have, I have very little, that he's going to provide for me. And, I, and I've been taken aback. And they said, of course I'm going to give. God's going to provide. I'm gonna, I, this is what I love. And, and I'll tell you also, I've, I've experienced on the opposite end. I've talked to people who I know that to give, you know, more than 10% of their money away would not affect their lifestyle even a, an inch. They wouldn't even feel it an inch. And yet to, to let go of that 10% is, uh, uh, would have to be wrenched out of them. It's impossible to, to get out of them. And it's an amazing thing that money can have that grip on us. And yet God does provide for us. And, um, and so um, if you want to see if money or possessions are our true master, we have to see where does our money go? Where does it flow to easily? And, um, you know, I should... Um, I should say that, uh, you know, things like greed and holding on to money, this isn't uh, just a problem for rich people. Um, you can be, have your life obsessed with possessions as a poor person. Or, or you could be a rich person and, and, and possessions have no, no grip on your life. Either way, this is something that we all struggle with. That Jesus says to his poor disciples, this is something you need to guard against and be, be on watch for. So first of all, is money the master of my life? We first follow money to see where it goes. But the second thing is that we can also follow our eyes. Follow where our eyes go. So you see this strange saying that Jesus says in verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye uh, is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And then the light that is in you is darkness. Uh, If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And... um, you know, the image that's being, you know, it's kind of a strange image, strange image saying that the, your eye is the lamp of your body. You know, usually you don't think of your eye as something that's putting out light, but you think of your eye as something that's taking in light. And, you know, the eye, the body, you know, how does the light get in my, in my muscles and stuff? How does it get in there? You know, it's kind of a strange picture. Um, but I think what, what Jesus is talking about is he's using... Uh, the, the picture of the, in the Old Testament, there was a ta- the tabernacle and the temple was the place where God's presence dwelt. And uh, it turns out in the, in, the, in the New Testament, Paul says that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And in the temple, in the tabernacle, in the inner, uh, you know, the inner uh, holy place, uh, there was um, uh, these lampstands that they would light with light and they would be fill, fill the temple with light. And it was kind of this picture of light in the Bible, this picture of truth and purity and, um, and uh, goodness and um, soundness. And so what he's saying is, um, is that our lives, our bodies, should be filled with truth and soundness. And, and that the way that those things happen is through where our eyes gaze. What does our eyes gaze on? What are the things that we look at longingly and say, if I had that, oh, if I had that car, if I had that job, if I had that house, um, if I had that vacation, I would, you know, I'd feel whole. I'd feel, uh, I'd feel rest for my soul. What do you gaze at and look at and, and have things give you promises? They make promises to you. And Jesus um, is saying, um, but one of the, oh, I think that's what he's talking about, is that the eye is the lamp of the body. The eye instructs your body. But you'll notice that he doesn't say, don't look at possessions. Don't look at riches. He says, instead he says, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, uh, your whole body, uh, sorry, I, I didn't. Um, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And... Um, 
what he says is he calls us to have a healthy eye. What does it mean to have a healthy eye? It means that you see things clearly, right? You see things for what they are. And I think what he's saying is that we need to see money and possessions clearly for what they are. And uh, actually, while I was on, in St. Louis, one of the books I had picked up was a book called The Social Animal, which is by a guy, uh, David Brooks, really a fun read about um, how uh, it's not necessarily our, our intellect or our cognitive, conscious mind that makes most of the decisions in our life, but there's all these kind of unconscious factors in our lives that are, you know, shaping the decisions we make. And he, uh, he was talking about this experiment that happened, I think it was maybe in the 70s or late 60s, where a psychologist um, put in a room, he took a four-year-old, he'd take this group of four-year-olds, and he'd put them in a room and put a marshmallow on the table right in front of them in the room. And he'd say, okay, listen, you're allowed to eat this marshmallow if you want. But I'm going to go out of the room, and then I'm going to come back. And if I come back and you haven't eaten the marshmallow, you can have two marshmallows. And so and then they put up a video camera and watched what the kids were doing while he left the room. And, uh, and, you know, and they're all squirming, and they're banging their heads on the table and covering their eyes, trying to not eat the marshmallow. Everything, you know, and actually he said one time he did an Oreo, and he put the Oreo on the table. And as soon as he left, the kid ate the white filling and then put it back together and <laughs> set it back on the table. And, uh, but he was observing, you know, some kids were able to kind of resist the marshmallow and, the, and some kids weren't. Actually, the kids that weren't able to um, would just stare at the marshmallow and try to, by their willpower, resist its deliciousness. And they couldn't do it. And they'd, they would grab it, uh, grab the marshmallow and eat it. But the kids that, re- that did have the patience were able to imagine, to use their imagination to actually see the marshmallow differently. And they'd either pretend it wasn't there or they, they did an experiment where they would tell the kids before they left, they say, okay, what I want you to do is when I leave, I want you to pretend there's a, a picture frame around the marshmallow and that it's, it's actually just a picture of a marshmallow. And when they did that, uh, the kids actually could, you know, restrain themselves much longer. And uh, this is actually what uh, David Brooks says. He says, by using their imagination, they encoded their perceptions of the marshmallow differently. They distanced themselves from it and triggered different, less impulsive models in their heads. The children who could control their impulses triggered cool ways of perceiving the marshmallow. The children who could not triggered hot ways. They could see only as the de- see it only as the delicious temptation that it really was. And so what he says was the determining thing about how much this marshmallow had control, mastery over them, was how they saw it, how they perceived it. And they needed to see it in a different way. And actually, when, actually, when they saw the marshmallow as less significant, they got to enjoy it more. When they saw it as smaller, a smaller, less important thing, they got more out of it. And I think that that's what Jesus is saying, is to have a healthy eye about possessions is the question of how do we see them? How do we perceive them? What are they? And what does the Bible say about possessions? Because on the, on the one hand, the Bible doesn't say that possessions and wealth and blessings and pleasure are bad things. It says actually they're good things. God made the whole world and all its abundance of treasures and beauties and goodness. And, and he says this is all a gift. He wanted us to have them. They're a gift so that we could enjoy them. And yet, what happens is that if possessions become the center of our life, they actually lose their value. They become less valuable. And because what happens is when possessions are the center of our life, we actually feel entitled to them. Right? We get to get that sense. I deserve to have those things, that house, that car, that iPad. I, I, I mean, I deserve that. I'm, I've asked for an iPad for like my last two birthdays. I deserve an iPad. 
Uh, I don't, you know, I don't have one yet. Okay, um, and uh, but the thing is that when um, uh, when possessions are big in our life, the pleasure you get from them actually becomes smaller and smaller, and you need more and more possessions, more and more wealth, in order to feel satisfied by them. And uh, actually, uh, there's a famous uh, John D. Rockefeller, the the oil. Uh, a billion billionaire from a century or so ago, um, a century and a half ago, was once asked, uh, how much is enough? How much is enough money? Just a little bit more was his answer. Just a little bit more. It's always just a little bit more. I need a little bit more. It's never satisfying. But when possessions become second to God, we love God. God is my master. I love him the most. Actually, you don't feel any sense of entitlement to your possessions. I, I don't deserve anything. Anything that I get is sheer grace. It's a gift that God gave to me. And it deeply humbles me that I get them. And, um, and because, uh, it's not like I have some claim on, on money. And pleasures and possessions, what they became is an opportunity to worship God. Because as I get them and I see God, God sprinkled all these things in my life and I don't deserve them, it leads me to gratitude. And I'm amazed at them. I have wonder at them. And I actually enjoy them more. I delight in them more. And I get to enjoy them in God's presence and with him and in fellowship with him and with gratitude to him. And so actually when we see the way that we see things, if we value them less, we enjoy them more. So the first question we have to ask, is money, our possessions, our things, the master of my life? We follow our money, where it goes to, and we follow our eyes. How do we perceive and see them? Um, but once... Uh, we've looked at that, the, the, the bigger question really is, how then uh, can I serve God instead? How can I serve God instead? If, if money is the master of my life, or it's, it's threatening to become a, a master of my life, how do I turn from it? What does Jesus say to that? So verse 24, he says, no, uh, no one can serve two masters, for either will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God in money. And um, I think one, one of the things that that means is that there are going to come times in our lives where we have to choose, am I going to make my decisions in my life based on getting more possessions or securing more money for myself, or am I going to trust God? I think he will confront us with times like that where we have to make that decision. Am I going to trust him? And you may, you may be experiencing that already this morning. There may be things that are coming to your mind. The Spirit is bringing to your minds the things that you're holding on to. And let me just, by the way, you know, as a side, let me just invite you to repentance. You know, the Christian life is not about be good, be good, be a better person, you're not good enough. It's not like that. It's, our life is full of sins. There are all kinds of things we fall short in. And God says you just repent. You say, God, wash this out of my life. I'm going to turn from trusting possessions. I'm going to turn and trust in your love. And that's it. It's forgiven. He's not holding it over your head. He's inviting you to repent. But one of the things that Jesus says here twice, he says, it's actually in Greek, the, the word that is not possible. You cannot serve God in money. It is not possible. You are not able. You do not have the power to serve God in money. You cannot do both. Um, uh, you are going to be devoted to one. And so we have to decide who we're going to trust. And I think that um, Jesus gives us uh, four things here, four commands. I'm going to try to, try to uh, I'll move through these as quick as I can, but... Uh, Four things that he calls us to do so that we can serve God instead of possessions and money. First, he says, don't lay up treasures on earth. Don't lay up for, for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, 
what does that mean? I, are we not supposed to save? You know, I mean, generally we think that saving money, saving possessions is, is a healthy thing. It's a good thing to do. And um, I think that actually the Bible tells us that saving is a good thing, right? Proverbs says that, you know, a wise man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And uh, the Proverbs praises the ant who goes out and collects all this food and, um, you know, stores it up for the winter. And so there's this sense of, of savings being responsible is a good thing. That's not what Jesus is speaking against here because what Jesus speaks against is the selfish accruing of possessions and wealth. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. You know, actually, when we're saving money and being responsible, we're actually caring for our families. We're making it so people, we're not dependent on other people later in our life. But here he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Um, Jesus says, do not make it your goal in life to gather more and more possessions for yourself. And part of the reason that he says is because they're going to disappear. All those possessions are, are going are gonna to be gone. Whatever toys, whatever technology, whatever iPads, they're going um, to disappear. You know, you, you know I, I look at myself and I, I think, hear people going on vacations you know, with their wife. They get away and I was like, wow, that sounds great. What happens? You go to St. Louis, your wife gets sick the whole time and, you know, don't trust in vacations, right? They're, uh, they're, they're going to fail you. They're going to fall short. They're going to fall apart. And um, they... Uh, they don't give us the security that we think they will. And uh, Dale Bruner, who's a uh, commentator on Matthew, he says this, but because of decay, because everything decays, we lose things, uh, you know, uh, financial markets fall, the economy crashes, uh, people take things from us, just nature, our bodies fall apart, whatever. Um, we lose things, nothing lasts. Because of decay, treasures Treasures lead us to security's opposite, anxiety. Because our riches bring us into constant war with decay, they do not bring us rest. It is a great service of Jesus, Jesus, therefore, to liberate us from the anxiety about gain. What he's saying is the more possessions you have, the more things you need to guard and make sure that they're not rusting and, you know, and taken care of. They actually produce, we think they'll produce security in our life and they produce anxiety. It makes it worse. And the fact is also, it's not just that they fall apart and do not lay up treasures in heaven because they're, you're going to lose them and they're going to decay and they're going to fall apart, but we're also, we're all going to die. I mean, the Bible has a, a, a vision that our lives are very small, that our true life is, is, is not, does not begin here. Our true life is in the, in, in the age to come, in the life to come, and we're going to die and we can't bring anything with us. You're not taking anything with you. And so, on the one hand, Jesus says, do not lay up treasures on earth, but he does say, do lay up treasures in heaven. Now, what does that mean, to lay up treasures in heaven? And what I don't think it means is that we should spend our life trying to earn God's approval, and if we do enough good things, then maybe he'll love us. Uh, I, that's, not, that's not what the gospel is. The gospel says that Jesus has lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death that we should have died. And because of what he's done, we stand loved and approved by God. We are fully loved, fully embraced, fully justified because of what Christ has done for us. So we don't live in our life anxiety about whether I better accrue enough um, treasures in heaven so God will accept me. That's not, that's not what he's saying. But even though we don't bring possessions with us when we die, Paul in 1 Corinthians does tell us that there are things that are enduring. There are things that endure into the life to come, right? He, he talks about building up, you know, the churches that he builds up. They're like this house that, that can endure. And as we commit ourselves to the work of God, as we commit ourselves to people, people endure. People go into, into the life to come. And as we give ourselves away to people, they are treasures 
that we can take into heaven. And Paul also says, uh, faith, hope, and love, these things abide into the age to come. There are things that last. And Jesus is saying we should devote ourselves to those things. And um, he's using this logic of, you know, saving and investments, you know. In every area of our lives, we save, we invest. And he says, how much more should we do that with our spiritual lives? And, you know, it's very common. This you may have had this thought. I mean, I hear this among younger Christians, kind of my age a lot, is that, you know, I got to stop thinking about the future and heaven and the life to come. I want a spirituality that's about now. It's about my life now. It's about serving people now. It's about being good now. I'll just tell you, Jesus does not use that logic. Jesus does not tell us to turn our minds away from the age to come so that we can be better people now. He doesn't do that. He says, uh, you should, your mind should be more absorbed with the life to come. If you're going to live a truly loving and generous life now, your ex- imagination in your head needs to be expanded by the promise that God has given us. And uh, actually, this is one of the big differences between Christianity and Buddhism. Because Buddhism also looks and says, you know, possessions and desires, they will control your life. They'll bring anxiety, like Bruno was saying. So you need to get rid of all the desires that you have in your heart. If you, if you let yourself desire, you're just going to be let down. And so, you know, extract all the desires out, out, out of you and empty your mind of all desires so that you're free from them. And so that um, they're not a chain to you anymore. And um, Jesus actually says the opposite. And actually, I put a a quote for you from C.S. Lewis on page 3 in your bulletin. This is what he says. Indeed, indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum when he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. We are too easily pleased by possessions. When God has... um, Lewis is saying the Buddhists are wrong. We're not materialists because we have too big of desires. It's because our desires are too small. And look look at what the gospel offers us, what Jesus offers us. is uh, What is our treasure that's in heaven? It's Jesus who's been raised from the dead. God has raised Jesus' body from the dead to eternal life. And what God is going to do, Jesus is going to come back, and this whole creation he's going to restore. You know, most of us, we look at the world, we look at a day like this when it's sunny in the sky, and we say... There's so much possibility for me to enjoy this world and being human in this world. And yet it's so, I miss out so much because of sin, because of of heartbreak, because of suffering, because of depression, um, uh, because of shame, because of all these things are just weighing on me and I wish I could enjoy the world the way it could be. And what the gospel says is that God is going to cleanse this world and make it right. He's going to raise our bodies and we will live in his presence and enjoy his blessings and every good thing from his hand with full grateful hearts forever. You know, as C.S. Lewis says, we will live in a story where every chapter is better than the last and it will go on forever. That's what we have. And we're, we're longing after iPads <laughs> that don't even compare. They don't even compare. And so Jesus says he's um, exploding, igniting our imaginations with what God wants to give us that is worth so more in making our desires stronger. And what happens is when our hope is directed toward the treasures we have in heaven, that we're going to become generous people. We're going to let go of the things that we have, and we're going to become the people that God's called us to be. We need that hope living inside of us. So Jesus says, 
don't lay up treasures on earth, but lay up treasures in heaven. Set your hope there. Set your eyes there. Fix your gaze there. But he goes beyond that, actually. And the third thing he tells us is not, uh, you know, how do, how do I serve God instead of money? It's not that we just shouldn't lay up treasures for ourselves uh, in, on earth. But he says also that we should despise money and possessions. Now, that might be strong language, but that's kind of what he says here, right? In verse 24, no one can serve two masters for you. They'll hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So there's just some sense where we should despise possessions. Now, now what do I mean by that? Um, I, I've been reading the Lord of the Rings to my kids, and um, if you don't know the Lord of the Rings story about uh, this world, Middle Earth, and there's this dark lord who makes this ring of power that gets lost, and this hobbit finds it, and uh, he goes on this journey to destroy the ring of power. And uh, this whole story is about this ring of power, and actually when you put it on your finger, you disappear. And uh, if there's one part in the books, it's actually, there's a character in the books that's not in the, in the movies. His name's uh, Tom Bombadil. And uh, he's a character that, that the hobbits meet on their journey in the woods. And he's kind of the lord of this wood. And he jumps around and he's singing all the time. And he talks to the trees. And the trees do what he tells them to. And, he, and they come to his house, the house of Tom Bombadil. And he's got this very lovely wife. And they're singing and they tell stories. And it's kind of this, this magical place. And, and they just love him. And, they, and he actually rescued one of the hobbits. And so they just love him and they trust him. And yet they've been guarding this ring. And so they begin to tell him about their journey that they're on, and Tom Bombadil says, I want to see the ring. Show it to me. And Frodo doesn't do this with anyone, and he just basically takes the ring and hands it to him. And, uh, and Tom Bombadil takes the ring, and he's kind of looking at it, putting his eye through the ring, and then he puts it on his finger. And they're all amazed because he doesn't disappear. And, and then he just takes it off, and he laughs, and he, kinda, he hides it, and then he throws it back to him. And, and they're all kind of shocked by just how flippant he is. With this, the whole world wants this ring, this possession. He's like, it's just a piece of metal. And there's this line where it says, Frodo was perhaps a trifle annoyed with Tom for seeming to make light, to make so light of what Gandalf thought so pre- uh, um, perilously, sorry, <laughs> of making so light what even Gandalf thought so perilously important. He made light of it. Everyone was chasing after this, and he's like, it's just a piece of metal. That freedom, he despised it was nothing. And I think that that's what Jesus is inviting us into, is what the whole world is chasing after and saying, I need more possessions, I need more wealth. Okay, it's kind of, it's not that big a deal. I could live without it, I could, I could have it or not have it, either way. <laughs> and actually, this is exactly what Paul says in, in Philippians 4. He says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do with with him or without him. They're no big deal. He makes light of the possessions. And that's what Jesus is saying here. We make big of God and we make light of possessions. And then we actually can enjoy them more. But how can we do that? How can possessions lose that enchantment. You know, this power of the ring, it was this enchanting ring. It drew everyone in. Tom Bombadil, it just, it didn't have its power. It lost its bewitching power over him. How did it lose that? How do possessions lose their enchanting power to draw us? And this is the last thing that I think Jesus says, is that we must be treasured by God. We 
must be treasured by God. The way that, we, that treasures lose their enchantment over us is when we learn to be treasured by him. And actually, right after this passage, I'm going to talk about this next week, uh, Jesus talks about anxiety, and he says, don't be anxious about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear. And then he says this line, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Are you not of more value than they? And what, what Jesus says, the way that possessions lose their grip on your heart is when you've come to see how valued you are by your Father. That you have been bought with a price. That Jesus became poor. He was the king of the world. And he was a baby in a manger, in a poor family, in in this redneck part of the woods, living in the sticks with nothing. He grew up poor. And throughout his ministry, he had nowhere to lay his head. You know, foxes have their holes, birds have their nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then he died as a robber with nothing, stripped of his clothes. And he gave it all up. Why did he give it all up? For you. Because you were his treasure. You were valued by him. And he became poor because you made him rich. And it's when we come to realize that, that God treasured me first. It's then that we learn to treasure God above all else. And then when we do that, the possessions, the gifts, they all become gifts from our father to his children. And we're, we're not filled with pride. We're filled with humility and with love. And we become generous. We become like our father. And that's what Jesus, that's the life that Jesus is inviting us into. Let's pray together. Our father, we pray that you would teach us this secret that Paul knew. To be content. Um, with either abundance or with need. And um, teach us, I pray that as a family, as a church family here, we would be a generous community, generous to each other, generous to your work, um, and uh, just generous with our lives, and, um, and that that would just be a, a draw. And would you teach us um, to make, make light, uh, to, to see possessions small, and to grow in us a longing for the life to come, our true treasure, our true treasure, Christ, our true treasure to be with you in your presence. We ask that you would um, guide us, teach us, lead us into that life, and lead us into repentance, into faith, to see that we have been treasured by you. We ask this in Jesus' name.